This morning, we're going to go back in the Bible to a very familiar story. We're going to talk about the story of a man whom we've all heard maybe from Sunday school days. I titled this sermon, The Lap of Delilah. So who am I talking about? <laughs> we're talking about Samson. And we're just going to look at his life and draw some insights from the life of Samson this morning as we talk about the lamp of Delilah. The book of Judges in the Old Testament covers a period of approximately 400 to 440 years from the time of Joshua, who took over from Moses, up until Samuel, the prophet. So the book of Judges covers this period of time, approximately 440 years, during which time Israel was governed or overseen by judges. These were men or women who God had raised up, and they were there to keep Israel on track, the people of Israel on track, keep them focused on God, bring them back to God. Also, many times to lead them against the enemy. Uh, the Philistines were uh, in constant conflict with the people of Israel, and so the judges served in uh, 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 empowering or engaging, uh, enabling Israel to engage with uh, the enemy. So the, during this time, there were about 14 judges in all, excluding uh, Eli the priest and prophet the Samuel. If you include them as judges, then they become 16. But the book of Judges itself contains 14 judges, the last of whom was Samson. Samson was the 14th judge. And so this morning... Uh, and we find his life, his story of his, his tenure recorded for us in Judges 13 to 16. So we're going to spend our time uh, in those chapters of the book of Judges. And we want to just look at his story, his life story, and draw some lessons from it. Before we start, this message is not just for men. See, Samson, you know, all the wives look at the husband. <laughs> it's for you. It's not just for men. It's for all of us. We're going to draw lessons from the life of Samson, things that will apply for all of us. So just to highlight is his life, we, we first of all see uh, uh, Samson's call and consecration given to us. We will start reading from Judges chapter 13. Uh, so if you want to follow along the, in your Bibles, that's welcome. You'll also find the scriptures coming up on the screen. Judges chapter 13, we'll read verses 1 through 5. The Bible says here, again, the children of Israel, again, so this is repeating. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So he was a man. His name was Manoah. He lived in the city 
of Zorah, which was about 15 miles west of Jerusalem. He belonged to the tribe of Dan. So that whole region belonged to the tribe of Dan, one of the 12 tribes. So he was there. And he and his wife had no children. They were barren. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. I just want to highlight one thing here. Uh, the angel of the Lord, that angel is capitalized. So you'll find there are uh, angelic appearances, angelic beings appearing to people in the Bible. But you also find this angel with a capital A. So this is different. This usually or normally refers to a theophany. This is the appearance of God to man. So it's not an angelic being, but it's God himself appearing to man. So a theophany is different from incarnation. In the sense incarnation, God took on the form of a man. Theophany is God himself appearing to man. And in the Bible, you find it one of three ways. He appears to man as man, appearing in human form. Sometimes he appears in angelic, as an angel. So that's here. And thirdly, he appears in some other physical form, like the burning bush that Moses saw, or the pillar of fire, or the cloud, or any of their other physical forms. So we call this theophany, God appearing in a physical way in our world. And so here God himself appears, Yahweh himself appears to Manoah's wife and says, you are going to have a son. Continuing there, verses 4 and 5. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So as, as God is speaking to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a son. He continues saying, this son is no ordinary son. There is a call of God. There is a call on his life. He is going to deliver Israel, the Israelites, out of the hand of the Philistines. So he's not like, you know, I've got another baby. I've got a baby. Wonderful. All the others have baby. No, it's not like that. This baby has a call. He has an assignment on his life. He's being birthed here to fulfill a purpose of God. He has a call of God on his life. And in order for him to fulfill the call, there is something very necessary. There you and the child have to be consecrated. So God is telling this Manoah's wife, during this entire time of pregnancy, you're not supposed to eat or drink any produce of the wine, the grape, and don't touch anything unclean. You keep yourself consecrated as you are going through this pregnancy. And from the time this child is born, he is a Nazarite. Nazarite, the word Nazarite simply means to be consecrated, to be separated, to be devoted. He is a Nazarite. He has to be set apart for God. And the way you're going to set him apart is he will not eat or drink anything of the wine. He will not touch anything unclean, no, touch no dead thing, nothing unclean. And as a sign of his consecration to God, don't cut his hair. Just let it grow. 
This man, this child that you're going to have, he has a call of God on his life. And in order to fulfill this call, he has to be consecrated to God. And God gives very clear instructions. So you and I can only imagine Samson's upbringing. Right from the time he was able to understand, I'm sure his parents would have said, Samson, do you know that before or the time of your birth, God came. This was the message. Samson, you are a Nazarite. You are consecrated to God. I don't know how many times he would have heard that. His mom and dad telling him. It was a dad, I'd like to have a haircut. Sorry, Samson. <laughs> no haircut for you. <laughs> All your friends can have their haircut. Not for you. Some, I want to have some grapes. I want to, you know, have this. Sorry, no grape juice for you. <laughs> All your friends can have it. Not for you. You are consecrated to God. There's a call of God on your life. And this is the way you have to live in order to fulfill that call. And so Samson was brought up this way. The next thing we see in Samson's life is that there was this unusual anointing on his life. Unusual anointing. Samson's unusual anointing. We read this in Judges, the 13th chapter. Let's read verses 24 and 25. It says, so the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The word Samson simply means light of the sun, sunlight, Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. So his upbringing was something that was really blessed. So we can only imagine that he was brought up in a, in a wonderful way. The Lord blessed him. He must have been blossoming into a fine young man. And then it says in verse 25, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahanedan between Zorah and Eshtol. So the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. That word move is very interesting. You look it up in the Hebrew. It means to tap, to beat regularly, to impel or agitate. So as he's growing up, at some point, we don't know when, the Holy Spirit began to tap. Hello? Hello? The Holy Spirit began to tap him. The Holy Spirit began to move upon him, begin to stir uh, him up, uh, begin to move, impel, push, so to speak, inside him. Samson was awakened to his call. I'm sure his parents would have told him, and maybe, you know, he kept it, must have kept it in his mind, but he didn't begin to understand it. But now the Holy Spirit has begun to engage with Samson, awakening him to his call, moving upon him. And I want to submit to you and me that today the Holy Spirit is also working. He is also moving. He's moving you. He's tapping on you. And if that tapping isn't enough, he's beating on you regularly. And if that beating isn't enough, he's stirring you up, agitating you. He's impelling you. He's pushing you from on the inside. This is the call in your life. The Holy Spirit is moving today. In our lives. Amen. And God is at work today. He's calling his people. He's giving them an assignment. 
He's releasing his Holy Spirit to move upon them, in them, through them. And he's saying, I want you to be in this place of consecration. Samson's unusual anointing manifested in him receiving supernatural physical strength. It was unusual because you don't find this expression of the Holy Spirit anyone, in anyone else in the Bible. Who received supernatural physical strength. Unusual. There was one time when Elijah ran faster than the chariot's horses. One time because the hand of the Lord came on him. But other than that, you don't find people in the Bible who had this expression of the anointing. In Samson's case, when the Holy Spirit moved upon him, the moving of the Holy Spirit gave him supernatural physical strength. And those chapters 13 through 16, a list different kinds of things he did. And I'll just summarize it for us. Many of us are familiar with what he did, his exploits. He Killed a lion with bare hands. He killed 30 of the Philistines single-handedly at one time. He caught 300 foxes. I don't know how he did it. But he caught 300 foxes, paired them up, lit torches on them, and released them into the fields of the Philistines to destroy that. Uh, he attacked and killed a great number of Philistines. Um, there was a time he was tied with brand new ropes and he broke free. He killed a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he, at one time, and he was encircled the city of Gaza. He uprooted the very gates of the city and walked out. That was the strength he received. Uh, there was a time when he was bound with seven fresh bowstrings and he broke free. Again, there was another time he was bound with new ropes, hand and foot, and he was he broke free. Uh, his hair was woven into uh, uh, the loom, the, the weaver's loom. And, and he woke up and he pulled the whole thing out of the ground. Nothing happened to his hair. Uh, and uh, there was a time he pushed the entire temple building down, killing thousands of Philistines. And in almost all of these instances, you'll find the Bible recording. The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he did this. Unusual expression of the Holy Spirit. What I want to mention to you and me is that we do not and cannot put the work of the Holy Spirit in a box. The Holy Spirit is moving today and He also moves in unusual ways. If God wants to move through you and express Himself through you in some unusual way, be open to it. Or when he wants to move to somebody else in an unusual way, be open to it. We don't put God in a box. But these are the only 10 things God can do. And listen, God is God. Amen. So even today, he moves in unusual ways and we need to be open to it. So he was a man. What a wonderful call of God. He was called to a life of consecration before God. And God was moving through his life by his spirit. And Samson was answering. He was responding to this call. He judged Israel for 20 years. But however. In Samson's life. As would be in all our lives. He had weaknesses. And his main weakness that, was, that is highlighted for us in scripture is his weakness for Philistine women. So at some point in his life, 
and we don't know how old he was at this. At some point, he fell in love with a Philistine woman and he decided he was going to get married to her. His parents feebly attempted to uh, dissuade him and say, Samson, no, don't do that. But he overread their call. He overrode what they he overrode what they said. And he went and he got married to this Philistine woman. But that wedding lasted as long as the wedding service. Those days, wedding services took seven days. On the seventh day, his marriage ended. That was it. We wish he had learned from that. But this weakness he had, at one point, he went into a Philistine prostitute in Gaza. And the same weakness brought him to another Philistine woman named Delilah. And so here he was. In love with Delilah, but also became an opportunity for the enemy, the Philistines, to try and destroy Samuel, Samson. Here's what we read in Judges, the 16th chapter, verses 4 and 5. It says, afterward it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Entice him and find out where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and every one of us will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Samson had a weakness, and that became an opportunity for the enemy to entice him at his point of weakness. Today, our enemy, the devil, works in a very, very similar fashion. The enemy's strategy is quite simple. He attacks us and he places enticements in the areas of our weakness. The enemy's strategy is very simple. He attacks us by placing enticements for us at points of our weakness. And that's what happened in Samson's life. And that's why you and I as New Testament believers, as people who know that we have a call of God, we know that the Holy Spirit is empowering each one of us to fulfill the call of God on our lives, the assignment that he has for us. We know that God only requires one thing, to be in a place of consecration before him, to be this Nazarite, to be this man, who, a woman who was consecrated, separated, and devoted to God. And we know how sacred that is to be consecrated before God in order to fulfill that call, in order to walk under the anointing of a spirit, the empowering of a spirit. Yet we must be aware that there is an enemy whose strategy is to entice us in our points of weakness. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, and these verses are familiar to you and me. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. 
Be on the alert. All the time. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because you've got an adversary, the devil. Who's looking for an opportunity. He's going around seeking whom he can destroy. Whom he can devour. And therefore he says in the next verse, verse 9. Resist him firm in the faith. Resist him firm in the faith. So as... These enticements were placed before Samson. Delilah had been commissioned, so to speak, by these Philistines. Get the secret of her strength. What's keeping him so strong? What's making him so strong? We want to take him out. We want to destroy him. Find out what's the secret of his strength. And so here's Delilah making repeated attempts. Three times Samson lies to her. First he says, well, if you bind my hands and feet with new ropes, I'll be weak. She does that and she says, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He wakes up, he breaks the ropes. Another time, the second time, actually the, the first time he says, if you get seven bowstrings, tie me up. She did that. He broke free. The second time, new ropes, he broke free. The third time. He gets a little dangerously close to his secret. He says, my hair. Seven locks of my hair. It's almost like he's ready to give it away, but he changes last minute. And so saying, if you cut it, he says, if you weave it. But he's dangerously close. He says, if you weave my hair into the loom. Samson should have realized Delilah is getting closer and closer to his secret. Here's what we see. That eventually Delilah makes an entrance. She breaks through. Judges 16, verses 16 to 18 says this. And it came to pass when she pestered him daily. With her words and pressed him so that his soul was vexed to death. That he told her all his heart and said to her, No razor has ever come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite. I've been consecrated, separated, devoted to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all his heart. So the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made an entry. But how did she do it? She pestered him daily. Pestered him over and over and over again until he just said, Enough. And he gave out. His secret. And that's the way the devil works. He entices us in our points of weakness. But he's also very persistent. He is tenacious. The enemy is persistent. The devil is persistent. That's how he works. He comes over and over and over again 
at our points of weakness. And that's why you and I must understand what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Because yesterday's victory does not guarantee another victory today. Yesterday's victory does not guarantee another victory today. Each day's battle has to be fought and won. Are you listening? Each day's battle has to be fought and won. Let him who thinks he stands. I won yesterday's battle. That's good. The enemy is back again today. Today's battle, we've got to fight and win. You cannot depend on yesterday's victory. Thank God for yesterday's victory. But today is another day. And that same devil is back. Knocking on the same doors of weakness in our lives. And he's persistent. And sometimes you may, you and I, we win the first battle, the second, the tenth. But the eleventh, the enemy makes an entrance. Each day's battle has to be fought and won. And so, it is so hard to imagine that after Samson had disclosed his secret to Delilah, that he actually goes back. At least he should have realized, you know, here's a woman who's after me. And she's broken through. She's got my secret. I need to run from this place. But Samson goes back and sleeps yet again in Delilah's lap. Yet again in Delilah's lap. This is what Judges 16, 19 to 21 records. Then she lulled him to sleep on her knees. And called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. So he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza. They bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. What a sad story. What a sad moment in Samson's life. After he gave away the secret, he would go back and sleep in the lap of Delilah. Knowing that he had given the very secret to his strength. He had given it away. And that she would definitely, definitely do the dangerous thing. Cut his hair. He knew that he would lose his strength. But it was so sad. He thought he could rise up as at other times. But he did not know the Lord had left him. I would like to use the lap of Delilah 
as a figure of speech for us today in order to draw insights from Samson's life. The lap of Delilah, what is it? It's the place where the enemy gets to rob us of our true strength. Causing us to forfeit the call, the anointing, and the destiny that God has for us. That's the lap of Delilah. And if you and I ever fall asleep in the lap of Delilah, coming into that place where the enemy is able to rob us of our true strength and cause us to give up on the call, the anointing, and the destiny that God has for us. That would be a very sad story, a very sad ending. It's a tragic place to be, a place of spiritual stupor. We are asleep and our spiritual strength is being drained and we don't even know it. We don't even know what's happening. What insights can we draw from Samson's life concerning the lap of Delilah? Number one, the lap of Delilah is a place of compromise. And I'm using the word compromise in a negative sense. Sometimes we use the word compromise and saying, you know, just adjust Marty, please. <laughs> you know, just, just, you know, adjust. And, it's, you know, in some situations, it works out fine. But I'm using the word compromise in a negative sense. That means we are cooperating when we should not cooperate. It means we are yielding when we should not be yielding. It means we are conceding, we are giving in when we should not be giving in. That's the compromise. And the lap of Delilah is a place of compromise. And we see this in Samson's life. Compromise in Samson's life began way back in the early stage of his, his uh, governorship, his being a judge, when he decided that he was going to marry a Philistine lady. He knew that was not allowed. He was a Nazarite. He was consecrated to God. He compromised when after killing that lion. And the, the, there was a dead carcass of the lion. And on his way back, somehow he saw this honeycomb lying there in the carcass of the lion. And he picked it up. Enjoyed the honey. Seemingly a harmless thing. But not for a Nazarite. And he took the honey home. He didn't tell his parents. He gave it to them to eat and he polluted his whole house. Didn't seem to bother. But that was a slide. Another step in compromise. He compromised when he went into the prostitute. The Philistine prostitute. He compromised when he chose to love Delilah. Another Philistine woman. And each time he compromised, 
He was coming further away from his place of consecration to God. That place of consecration was his place of strength. That was a place where he could answer the call of God and be empowered by the unusual anointing of the Holy Spirit. But each compromise was taking him away from that place of consecration. And so you and I must understand that compromise is the enemy's way to rob us of our consecration before God. What does compromise look in your life and mine? How do, what does it look like in your life and mine? There's nothing wrong in pleasing self. You know, you, you like good food, good. You like good clothes, fine. Nothing wrong with that. But if in the process of pleasing myself, I choose to compromise on my obedience to God, that's dangerous. Make yourself happy, but not at the expense of obedience to God. That's compromise. Yes, we need to make others happy. Our friends, our family, everyone else. Please them, make them happy. But in the process of making people happy, you and I cannot compromise on our obedience to God. Because compromise is the enemy's way to bring us out of our place of consecration before God. And the place of consecration is your place of strength. Amen. So maybe you said five years ago, I will never touch alcohol. Now you're the head of your sales department and you have to deliver on the numbers and you have you're meeting with all these customers and and you have to sit down now they're drinking and you have god one sip i won't get drunk god you're compromising you're compromising are you listening it's just one step You said, I will not watch porn. Okay? You may have stopped all the other things. But probably there's one little door left. And an occasional glance. God, just five seconds, nothing happened. Hey, that's enough for the enemy. Because he's going to come back at your point. Of weakness. That five seconds compromise is very dangerous. Are you listening? The lap of Delilah is a place of compromise. So, not intending to put us under any condemnation, but Are you? Are there things in your life that are slowly weakening your consecration for God through compromise? We all have to check up. 
other things in my life that are slowly moving me out of my place of consecration to God just an inch. Just a little compromise. But it's taking me out of my place of being consecrated to God. So beware of the lap of Delilah. Beware of compromise. The interesting thing is that while he was compromising, God was still working. And that is so dangerous. Because he thought, God is still working. So everything is okay. But everything is not okay. So we cannot use the working of God as a measure of our consecration to God. That has to be seen objectively. Where are you in the consecration? Many times God works through us in spite of us, not because of us. The second thing we see about the lap of Delilah is that the lap of Delilah is a place of complacency. A place of complacency. What is complacency? It is coming to this place of, of self-satisfaction, of self-approval. That somehow you come into that state where you're satisfied, you approve of yourself, you're comfortable. That you don't want to make the extra effort. That's being complacent. The extra effort may be needed just maybe to make yourself better. The extra effort may be needed sometimes to face some challenges that are staring you, staring at you. That extra effort may be needed maybe to address issues. But you're complacent. Don't want to do that. Because I am happy. I'm happy. I'm comfortable where I am. And that's what we see happening in Samson's life. We are unwilling to better ourselves. We are unaware sometimes of what's coming up. We don't want to see it. We refuse to see it because it's comfortable not to see it. We don't want to become unresponsive because it's comfortable not to respond to the challenge. Let talents be there. I'm here. You're fine. I'm fine. Don't respond. Complacent. Not willing to put that extra effort to deal with the issue. To deal with the challenge. To face the situation. That's what happened. Samson was so deeply in love with Delilah that he was completely blinded by this love. And here was a woman who was going after him. She was blatantly open. Samson, what's the secret of your strength? Samson, the Philistines are upon you. You know, by this time, it should have dawned. <laughs> On him that this woman is a dangerous woman. Run, Samson, run. Anointing or no anointing, run. <laughs> but he always kept giving in this side. To run is a little hard. To face up to this problem, this issue, this danger is a little hard. It's easier not to do anything. Than to do something. That's complacency.
Sometimes perhaps he became so confident that he could still escape. Oh, I know I can handle it. So don't do anything now. If anything happens, I can handle it. Complacency. We must understand. Compromise moves us out of a place of consecration to God. Complacency puts us in a place of vulnerability to the devil. If you're not willing to do something, you are making yourself vulnerable to the devil. Your complacency is stripping you bare in front of the enemy. You become a sitting target for him because of complacency. Compromise moves us out of our place of consecration to God. Complacency puts us in a place of vulnerability before the devil. So here was Samson. Going back to Delilah. Waiting to be slaughtered. Why is it that we are complacent? Why is it that when you and I are staring a danger in the face, we're not doing something about it? Why is it that when you, you and I have to rise up to a challenge, we, we just don't want to do it? Why? Sometimes we are blinded. We don't know. Or we're unwilling to see. Sometimes we have good excuses to protect our complacency. Sometimes it's our self-deception. We think we are okay, but we are not okay. And that's why we need somebody else to come and tap us on the back and say, hello, wake up. Can't you see where you're going? Can't you see what's coming up? Because we are self-deceived. So we can't see. Sometimes it's our lethargy. We just don't want to do it. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah 64, verse 7, there's no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take a hold of God. There are times God comes after us. There are times we have to stir ourselves up to take, go after him. Stir yourself up to take a hold of God. What does complacency look like in the life of a believer? There used to be a time when prayer was so important. You pray hard. When things were hard, you pray. Now things are going fine. Ah, prayer, maybe five minutes. Good morning, God. There used to be a time when being in the word of God was so important for you and me. But complacency has set in. Our pastor said, few verses is enough. We become complacent. Well, that's dangerous. It's making us vulnerable to the enemy. Complacency. The last thing. The lap of Delilah represents in this story. It's a place of carelessness. 
you and I would imagine that after Samson had disclosed his secret to Delilah, he woke up the next morning, she said, I'm glad my head is still on. I should never come back to this place. Because this woman knows my secret. All this while, sleeping in the lap of Delilah, you escape. The next time you sleep, it could be your last time. Samson should have realized that after giving away his secret. And for whatever reason, so hard to understand, other than his utter carelessness, he's reached a point where he's like, I don't care anymore. Samson, God announced your birth. I don't care. Samson, you were called from your mother's womb to deliver Israel. I don't care. Samson, the Holy Spirit is anointing you to do these mighty things like no man before you. I don't care. I am going to sleep in the lap of Delilah. Utter carelessness. And you can imagine that evening when Samson is walking into Delilah's, I don't know, tent or home or whatever she was in. And he lays down in her lap knowing she has the secret to his strength. And he's saying, I don't care. Carelessness. Carelessness that throws all caution to the wind. Carelessness that doesn't pay attention to the very basics, the very foundations of what we believe, what we stand for, and what we've been taught. I don't care. Carelessness. If compromise moves us out of our place of consecration to God, if complacency puts us in a place of vulnerability to the devil, carelessness could be our downfall. Prove our downfall. One act of carelessness could be the ruin of God's call and God's destiny on your life. That last careless light in Delilah's lap was fatal for Samson. Philistines got him. They blinded him. Took him out. Chained him. Made him work in the cellar grinding grain. So there he was. But thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. While Samson was there in that maybe a dungeon where he was blinded, made to grind corn or whatever he was grinding day after day. We don't know how long that was. 
But his hair grew back. His hair grew back. And I don't think there was something great about his hair growing back. It was just that he had no choice. But I think that was representing something that was happening inside him. Although the Bible doesn't record this, it is highly probable that in that state that Samson found himself in, inside his heart, he brought himself to a place of consecration to God. He must have said, God, I messed it up. I messed up real bad. But in whatever way possible, right here, God, I choose to be a Nazarite. I choose to be a man separated, consecrated, and devoted to you. Give me one more chance. Give me one more chance. I know the Bible doesn't record this, but I'm just imagining that this is what must have happened while Samson was there in the dungeon, blinded, and left there day after day to grind the grain. And this time came. And all the Philistine chief rulers, men and women, gathered together in the temple of their god, Dagon, to celebrate. And they said, let's bring Samson in. Let's make fun of him. We've got our enemy, the man who terrorized us. Let's bring him in. And here was Samson, walking into the temple, blinded. He couldn't see anything. But yet, crying out to God, God, give me one last chance. And the same unusual anointing came on him. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his mercy. That same precious Holy Spirit came on Samson. Standing in that temple with hands against these two pillars, he pushed. And he did again what would not be humanly possible but only possible because of the call of God on his life and because of the anointing of God on his life. He brought the whole temple down. He died. But here's his epitaph. Judges 16 verse 30 says, So the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. Thank God. For his mercy. In conclusion, when you look at the life of Samson, it's a life of unfulfilled potential. He judged Israel for 20 years. We don't know if he would have gone on for another 20, for another 40 years, if he had stayed in his place of consecration to God. We don't know what God could have done through him if he had just stayed faithful to his call, surrendered to the anointing, but just being in that place of consecration. But the lap of Delilah cut it all short. Compromise, complacency, 
and carelessness. Cut short. What God could have done through Samson's life. Just call our worship team up, please. So this morning, I believe God is just calling us to that place of consecration to Him. To learn from Samson's life. On each one of us, there is a call. God has a plan, a purpose, a destiny for each one of us. There is the empowering of the Holy Spirit available for each one of us. There is the unusual anointing that God wants to do manifest through each of us. What eyes haven't seen, what ears haven't heard, what hasn't even entered into the heart of man. Such things God has prepared and he's not run out of ideas. In our day, in our time, in our generation, through you, God wants to release unusual things. There's one thing he asks of us. To be in that place of consecration before him. To be a man and a woman who is consecrated, separated, devoted to him. And there's one thing the enemy is after. He wants to bring us out of that place of consecration. And he does it by drawing us into compromise or complacency or carelessness. I want us to take some time this morning as believers, as people who've, who understand the importance of the call of God, the anointing of God, to say, God, let your searchlight come on my life. How I knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, moved out of my place of consecration to you. Have I moved out of that place, that sacred place of being consecrated, separated, devoted to you? Have I moved out, Lord? compromise have I become complacent in my seeking of God in spiritual things or have I dangerously progressed to a place of carelessness I couldn't care may the Holy Spirit pull powerfully on each of our hearts and lives this morning May his pull on you be so irresistible right where you are. That you cannot say no to what God is doing in you this moment. May he draw you and me back to that place of consecration. That hallowed ground of being devoted, separated to him. Because it is in that place where his call is answered, where his anointing comes. Now, Father, even as you desire God, work in our hearts and our lives. And in the lives of those watching, God, wherever they are. Holy Spirit, do your work. And break the chains. 
that the enemy has bound us with in any area of our lives this morning. May this word come not just with words, but come with the anointing of your spirit to set God's people free.
we just pray for restoration and Lord we pray for reviving God in our lives for those of us who need to be restored oh God in our lives do that for us empower us restore us for those of us who need to be revived whether the flames of passion for you need to be rekindled where God, they need to be found out in the flame again. Rekindle it. Revive it. This morning. By your spirit. And every person in this place. Leave from here, God. Those watching. Let each one of us experience. God, a restoration. A reviving. A rekindling. A renewed passion, a renewed zeal for you and a big people consecrated to you. Stir it up in our hearts this morning. Do this for us, Father. For each one of us, we pray. For each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Oh God. Oh God. Do this, we pray. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. Help us. Thank you, God.
fall in this place Lord have your way Lord have your way in us consuming
you want us to be. Thank you for what you've done in our midst of God. In every heart and every life, we thank you. We praise you. We honor you. We give you the glory, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want to just take a moment just to pray for those of us who are maybe sick in our bodies and hurting. Just lay your hand on your body. And as I speak from here, we believe that God will heal. God will deliver. So, Father, because you are faithful to your word, there be any person here sick in their body. Even now, in the name of your son Jesus, let healing come. Let pain, let infirmity, let disease, let disorders depart now. And let healing come. Right now. By the power of your Holy Spirit people be healed now in the name of Jesus. And also, Lord, let people be set free from emotional disorders, things troubling them in their minds. Let them be set free now. Let them be made whole now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for doing this. you've never received Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Him in. You need Jesus in your life. If you've never done that, just going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you've never asked Him to come into your life, be your Lord, be your Savior. I'm just going to ask you to join me in the simple prayer if you've never done it before. So that Jesus Christ can be in you, be your Lord, be your Savior. You've never done this. Just say this with me. If you'd like to do it, just say this with me. Lord Jesus, I receive you into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And help me to follow you and you alone the rest of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Anybody, you pray this prayer with me this morning for the very first time. I'd like to see your hands. So if you pray this prayer with me for the very first time, could you raise your hand where you are? Anybody, you pray this prayer with me for the very first time in your life. I see one hand, wonderful. God bless you. Two, hand, two, two of them right here. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? At least two. If you pray this prayer, we want to get give you this green bag, which will be called our new believers bag. So uh, make sure you please raise your hand. We, our greeters will come to you, give it to you. There's a card that says decision card. If you can just please write your name and your number and just hand it back to the, the greeter there. They will take it from you and somebody from the church office will call you and give you guidance on how to use the resources that are in that bag. Thank you so much. Let's close, please, before we dismiss. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each one of us always. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We trust this message was a blessing to you. For more free resources, including sermons, sermon notes, TV programs, publications, please visit apcwo.org. For information on APC Bible College in Bangalore, please visit apcwo.org slash Bible College. Please remember to download the All People's Church Bangalore app from the app or Google Play stores.